Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to mental, physical, and emotional health from the Black woman's perspective. Tune in to hear from Black woman health and wellness experts giving the approachable advice you need to help you feel your best. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Let's dive in. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Balanced Black Girl Podcast. I am your host, Les, and I am honored to be sharing this space with you. So at the time that I'm releasing this episode, we are heading towards the middle of September 2020. And this time of year is usually a time of year that actually resonates more with me in terms of goals and intention setting than January of each year. I don't know if that is just conditioning around the school system. having been a student for so long and having that kind of new school year energy, if it's the shift of seasons into fall. I'm someone who also has a late summer birthday. So this time of year, I'm also thinking about kind of the upcoming year around my my solar return that recently passed. But this time of year is usually when I do my intention setting that tends to resonate more with me than the beginning of the year. This year obviously has been an experience in and of itself. And I've been thinking a lot about the intentions that I want to set in this season, particularly when we think about the season of fall and what normally happens during this season is when we usually plant the seeds, plant the seeds for what we want to harvest, right? That's what's happening in nature. That's what's happening on farms with our food. Seeds right now are being planted for what we want to harvest later on. And so this year, instead of thinking so much about what goals I want to set or what I want to achieve or what external achievements I want to have, I'm really thinking about planting the seeds of the energy that I want to harvest. What do I want my energetic shift to be? When I walk into a room Hopefully one day I will again walk into a room where there are people there and I shift the energy. Which direction do I want to shift the energy? How do I want people to feel when they come in contact with me and not from an external people pleasing kind of way, but just in a awareness of how I carry self kind of way. That's how I'm approaching kind of goals and intentions in this season. And 
What has resonated with me a lot is this idea of calm, of being a calming presence, of having a calming energy is something that I'm really, really after. I was recently doing some reflecting on, you know, this time a year ago and just 2019 as a whole, thinking about the energy that I brought in a lot of places. And it was a very chaotic, very stressful energy. During that season, I was traveling a lot and transitioning a lot in life. And that was when I was really planting the seeds for Balanced Black Girl to be what it is now and what it will be in the future. And I just had this very chaotic, kind of reckless, constantly overwhelmed energy. All I talked about was how overwhelmed I was all the time. And in reflecting on that, I was looking at where I am now a year later, being in this season where we're all experiencing these very traumatic, stressful things together, but realizing that I personally am in a place of much more calm. And that's not because, you know, I I don't have other things happening in my life or that I'm not feeling what we're going through collectively because I am, but it's just because I've really learned how to manage and shift my own energy in ways where I feel the difference and where the people around me feel the difference. This platform feels the difference and I want to continue leaning more into that. So I really encourage you, if that resonates with you at all, to, you know, think about intentions that you want to set to back away from some of the conditioning we have around what we need to achieve and really focus more on how you want to feel how you want the energy around you to feel. How do you want the rooms that you walk into to feel once you're there? And really focusing on those feelings can be really, really transformative because I know that I have certainly felt the effects of that and I feel like I'm just getting started in that. And I invite you, if that resonates with you, to do the same. And if not, you know, that's fine. You don't have to. It's all a choice. That's the beautiful thing about this work is it's all a choice. And if embracing more calm is something that you are interested in, I invite you to come to our very first Balanced Black Girl digital workshop, which is happening on September 26th. It is all about self-care for stress management. So I'm teaching a workshop that is largely inspired by the conversation that we had in episode 61, all about stress management. Going to be walking you through some tactics and ways that you can add more stress management management into your day because we are living through very stressful times right now and we need to make sure that our toolkit for managing all of that is well equipped with what we need and I'm going to be sharing with you some strategies and ways that you can really tap into that that you can really tap into those stress management techniques things that have helped me, things that are researched. And it's just, it's going to be time to dive a little bit deeper beyond conversations in the podcast. You'll walk away hopefully feeling uplifted and encouraged is my goal. And we will just get to spend a bit of time together and learn and grow together. So you can go to balanceblackgirl.com forward slash class to sign up and reserve your spot. We already have a lot of folks signed up, which is really exciting and space will be limited. And 
I would be honored to have you there in one of our spots remaining. So again, that is going to be on Saturday, September 26th at 12 p.m. Pacific time. You can go to balanceblackgirl.com forward slash class to sign up and just spend about 90 minutes with me learning new tools and tactics for managing stress. And everyone who signs up will also have access to a recording. So even if you can't make it live, you will receive the recording after the fact. So I would love to spend that afternoon with you. Again, that is at balanceblackgirl.com forward slash class. So now it's time to dive into today's interview, which I'm so excited to share with you. Half healer, half businesswoman, today's guest, Miriam Ajayi, is both an energy healer who practices breathwork and Reiki and an entrepreneur who is the founder of Dive In Well, which creates space, community, conversations, and change for a more diverse and equitable wellness industry. When Dive In Well first started, this was mainly through in-person, offline experiences gathered around getting community leaders together at dinners to discuss ways to make the wellness space more equitable. And with the events of 2019, it has shifted to be largely online, but still every bit as impactful. Based in LA, she is passionate about destigmatizing the wellness industry, advocating for inclusive spaces for marginalized communities, and using her voice to empower and uplift others around the world. So, in this conversation, we talk about so much. We go into so many things, and it is just such a layered and important conversation. We talk about Miriam's backstory and and how she came to the space that she is in. And we also talk a lot about spirituality, spiritual practices, self-awareness, and understanding the perspectives of others and how important those things play into the wellness space. You know, wellness is something that for a lot of people feels so physical because that is often the gateway. That is often what gets us there, whether we have an ailment that we are trying to solve or something within our body that we are trying to move or express differently. Physical is often the gateway that gets us into this space. However, it is the spiritual, mental, and emotional that really dictates how much of the work we do and the effectiveness of the work that we do. And we talk about all of it in this conversation. We talk about the mental, the physical, the spiritual, and the social. And I am just a really big fan of Miriam's work, what she does with Dive In Well, the space it occupies, and the conversations that they lead are so necessary and so important. I'm honored to have her on the podcast today and I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. So let's get into it. Miriam, welcome to the show. I am so excited to finally have you here. I have been wanting to interview you for so long and I'm so glad that you're finally here. We're here. We made it. I feel like this has been a long time coming, but I'm actually glad we've waited a little bit to do it because we've built like such a meaningful relationship, at least from my perspective. I feel like when we met in person in February, you just have such a wonderful, soothing soul. And I feel like 
you know, being able to connect, especially through COVID, being newbies to LA has meant a lot. I was telling you before, you're one of like a handful of people that I feel safe interacting with on the wild, wild web. Well, thank you. I appreciate that and feel the same way. And I mean, the internet is especially wild right now. So <laughs> protecting your peace the way you are and, and taking a step back, I so just love and respect because it's needed. Yeah, for sure. It's this double-edged sword of like, it can be such an incredible place to connect with people. You and I actually met in person at Create and Cultivate, but it's like, there's a, a lot of new relationships or, you know, building stronger relationships through this portal. And then obviously, you know, the bigger you shine your light, the bigger your shadow is. So there's a lot of darkness that comes with it. Ooh. Okay. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think you just articulated something that I have been feeling over the past couple of months, specifically around Black Lives Matter picking up so much steam and around this push to, you know, amplify melanated voices. I have felt this sense of with that, with, you know, the increased exposure, with the increased amplification, it's also exposing us to maybe some things that are not ideal as well. Have you felt that? Oh, 1000%. And I'll give you an example. Actually, today I've been, I've been grappling with it because, you know, I don't consider myself an influencer and I've never done the work that I was doing for a platform. It actually freaked me out. And I like did a lot of work around being seen and heard with spiritual healers that were like, more people need to hear your voice. That just me, it can be small, right? But it doesn't have to be 1 million people, but you have to be comfortable putting yourself out there. And especially because of the riots and everything that has happened, Dive In Well got a lot of exposure. And with that, so did I. My platform grew and I was like freaked out by all of it just because I got a lot of sense of like, you know, when you find someone, you know, on Instagram who really speaks to you and everything that they say is gold. Like Joel Leon is someone like that for me of like every poem that he writes for Instagram. I'm like, oh. and like, I've now nicknamed him my son and we like joke about it. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, that feeling when you find someone that those people found you and they're like, Oh my God, like, can you imagine how many people have done that when they found your profile of balanced black girl, right? Like they just feel a sigh of relief. And then with that, that's like such a, an amazing feeling of, wow, I could provide that for someone. And then on the flip end, you can just feel the anger that some people have and like they're just on your page to just hate on you or to troll you or to grasp a piece of you. And I think that that is even more alarming to me than, than the people that are just like haters, you know, whatever trolls is the people that like, like what they see, but they want to like take it. And I think that that is like white entitlement of, you know, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. I want all of your energy. I'm going to DM you, DM you, DM you, like everything that you do, because I want a piece of you. And it's such a freaky, freaky feeling. And so that's why I think we need to be doing a lot of energetic work, protection and boundaries around our time on the internet. And I remember 
a couple of weeks ago, I was just fed up with something. Every day we're fed up with something, right? We've been living fed up. And I posted something and I actually used the hashtag because I don't really like go in and figure out what hashtag I should be using. I just like post stuff. And I was like, hashtag Black Lives Matter. And I mean, the amount of like likes and comments was like through the roof. And then I was seeing that like white supremacists were going in and trolling me and saying crazy things. And it was a video of a little girl like saying nasty things about this little black child. And I was like, what the fuck? Like that was crazy. And I was like, even like the internet is a portal, right? But even like the hashtag Black Lives Matter is a portal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That can attract so much good, bad, and ugly. And that I was like, okay, I see what's going on. Because I also think that what we're in right now, and like not to get to like meta, right, is especially for Black folks, and especially for Black women. And it's like, we need to tell people about themselves and we need to speak our truth and stand in our truth and stand up for ourselves and, and take our power back. But it also doesn't mean we have to take power over other people because that's whiteness, right? That's the, uh, the oppressor side of things. We're just looking for equity because they've taken so much. And I think that we need to be really tap into when we're playing into a dynamic when someone is, and that could be their higher self, right? Or their unwell ancestors, where they're just trying to get us to feed into that dynamic and like when to push off and let let go. Like I'm in a group of healers and we were talking about someone that has a huge platform that's been really problematic that we tried to each have a conversation with privately And then they were just like trolling each of us individually, not knowing that we were all talking to each other and then started posting about it in their stories. And I like literally, it dawned on me because we were all getting so upset and so heated. And I was just like, y'all, she's playing this game with us. I was like, this is a type of like, I don't know, sociopathy, like psychopathy. I don't know how you say it, but it's also like an energetic thing that's been going on. And it's so odd. I mean, I think of that, that behavior and even what you were saying earlier about even people who maybe have good intentions, just constantly picking and wanting a piece and wanting everything on demand is that it's really dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. It's a sense of ownership over people. I've played into that dynamic before of like, I've wanted to like own something, but I've you know, been doing work around releasing stuff like ownership is colonization. Like we don't own anybody. And for me, what boggles my mind is not having the self-awareness to know when you're just like trying to grab, 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 grab. Yeah. I mean, but I think that's a good reminder for, for all of us. And is, I think even just having that moment of let me take a step back and being self-aware is so so much further ahead than where a lot of people operate. Yeah. Like even the thought to pause and say, am I aware right now? So many people would be served to do a little more of that. Just a tiny bit. (laughs) And it's unfortunate because the title of the podcast, you know, is Balanced Black Girl. And I'm like, 
for me, what boggles my mind is like, why do black women, BIPOC, you know, um, women of color have to be the ones that are more self-aware than other people? Mm-hmm. We're always trying to think about how everything, how everything we do is going to affect other people, putting ourselves last and are like always thinking about the puzzle pieces. And that could even just be like, how many times have you been like, what time should I send this message at? Am I pushing too hard if I like email them and then DM them? Or is it like helpful if I do that because some people like need a little extra push and like just every little thing that you do, like there's so much thought that goes into it, so much self-awareness and it's like a lot of people just get a pass and then it's like, oh, they just don't know any better. And I think what we're seeing a lot of right now is that when people get called to be accountable, it feels like an attack. And I think if there's any, I mean, there's a lot of takeaways that I would love for this time to give to people right now, but I think not seeing accountability as an attack is one of the big ones that I think a lot of people would be served to embody. I look at it as egocentric when people are not willing to look at being held accountable as the opportunity to evolve as a human, as a soul. And I also think that that's white supremacy, this narrative around, you know, call out culture and cancel culture being divisive and toxic. I think that's white supremacy. And it's hiding itself in this like spiritual bypassy kind of way, because who wins at the end of the day, right? If being called out is a symptom of your ass being problematic, well, who are the most problematic people? And so of course, it's going to be like, Let's create this narrative. It's so fragile. It's so blatant to me. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, there are ways to better embody holding people accountable than some people. You know, there's different approaches that work over others. But I bet your bottom dollar that like, by the time someone's gone to the internet to call someone out, they've probably gone through a lot of other channels to try and stop someone from being problematic and harmful. It's usually a last ditch resort. So true. I get called out all the time. I got called out yesterday. Someone was just like, hey, this is how I view this happening. And I'm like, okay, this was my, this is how I viewed it. And they were like, well, this is what it is to me. And I'm like, bet. What do I have to lose? And just being like, my approach probably wasn't the best approach. And I'm like, what can I do to course correct this? Was there any harm made? No harm. Okay. How can I course correct? Suggested. Okay. Will this work? Boom, boom, boom. Back on track. And I think that was like a 30 minute to one hour conversation or back and forth of us both doing different things. Such a good example. And it's such a good example of those situations not having to be scary, <laughs> you know? That yeah. <laughs> it's okay to be like, with new information, my bad. <laughs> yeah. It's like, did my heart race a little? Yeah. Like, did I want to like shame spiral? Yes. Was that going to be productive in the situation? No. Could we keep it moving? Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So valid. 
So I would love to take a step back for a second in case we have folks who are just now meeting you. Oh, you have just the most multifaceted background and backstory. <laughs> and I, I would love to get into a little bit of that as well for our listeners who are maybe just now meeting you who aren't familiar with your work or who maybe have recently learned about Dive In Well. So I would love to just learn a little bit more of your personal story and what brought you to the work that you do now. Yeah, I feel like my life has been a series of twists and turns and plot twists, even to myself. (laughs) I'm a, you know, what they call 1.5 immigrant. My mom's African-American, my dad's Nigerian, three older brothers. My parents were in America and then we moved back to Nigeria and then they had myself and my brother due to political unrest. We moved back to the United States. And so I lived in a household when I was little, which was, you know, Nigerian, and I didn't know much about my African-American side. And what I did know was from video cassettes, you know, that type of thing. So when we moved to America, it was very much like land of the free, and especially because of what was going on in Nigeria at the time. And when we got here, it was actually during like the 1992 elections and us learning what that meant and what democracy is and Democrats versus Republicans and the electoral system. Like politics was super ingrained into my family because my parents were both politically active. It just so happened that my dad was very conservative at the time. And then I like voted Republican in a mock election and then decided I was going to be a Republican at the age of six like my dad. And I kind of grew up of the belief of like, the economy comes first, so there's jobs and anyone can pick themselves up for their bootstraps. You know, my mom's from a working class family and my dad came from basically like a royal to-do family um, in Nigeria. And when they moved to the States, my parents didn't have anything for, you know, a lot of different reasons. And they pick themselves back up from their bootstraps. And so I was like, my dad always said that. I'm like, look, we did that. Like we didn't have anything. And then my parents like worked really hard to provide us with a very like beautiful life. And then when I graduated college, I, you know, I didn't grow up spiritual, anything like that. That world wasn't even in my purview. My dad's also a Muslim. My mom's a Christian. So even religion wasn't something big that was in our house. My parents were like, you'll figure it when you're 18, you all can make your own decision about what you want to be. And it was only on like holidays and special occasions that we even interacted with anything religious. Funny enough, my grandmother was a a pastor. So (laughs) it's like, it was always on the outskirts. And I kind of just was like trying to fit into the American dream, even though I never really fit in with the African-American side of my family because I was too African. And growing up, we never went back to Nigeria until I was in college. And then of course, like I was exotic to some white people, but then like too nappy headed for some white people. So I was always living in this like self bubble with like my family. One of my brothers is my best friends and I'd never really fit in anywhere, no matter how hard I tried. And then I went off to college and was a, you know, sorority party girl. And then was like, all right, 
real world, what am I going to do? I'm going to become a lawyer because, you know, lawyer, engineer, doctor, went to engineering school. That obviously wasn't going to work out and definitely was like, I'm not doctor material. Um, So lawyer was. And after college, I was at a law firm, got recruited for trade association, which trade associations are for profit companies that work for for profit companies to lobby for certain initiatives. And I ended up at a liquor lobbying firm, which was like as wild as you can imagine. I worked in the legal department, so I did a little bit of everything. I got to see the press releases. I got to help draft legislation. I saw complaints that were filed against like the world's biggest liquor brands. And then also we would hold these like extravagant booze-filled parties on Capitol Hill and in DC. And I was like, I don't know, 21, 22, going to these like, what you thought was making it was rich, powerful men, white men in a room, right? You made it. And I was like in all of these crazy situations. And then that spiraled my career into Republican lobbying. I went then to work for the coal industry. Then I got recruited by one of our consulting firms. And that's when I got into strategic partnerships and alliances. And then was like really really saw too much. I was like, okay, I'm going to be like 30 under 30, Black Republican lobbyist. I was like Candace Owen on Xanax. Like I never hated Black people. I loved being Black, but I just thought that Black people had a role in economic freedom. Looking back on it, ridiculous. Do you know what I, like so insane. And I I was so privileged in the aspect of not seeing how the government oppresses people from the LGBTQIA plus community, you know, and of this belief, like, it doesn't matter what happens behind closed doors and was blind to all the ways that the government was encroaching on what happens behind people's closed doors. And then when I started to wake up to all of that, I was like, this is wild. This is crazy. It's disgusting. I saw too much. And I was like, I got to get out of here. And then I went to go work for the tech industry. And growing up, like I got in a car accident when I was 12. I always suffered from chronic pain. And then when I was working in lobbying towards the end of it, I had excruciating anxiety where I was having panic attacks. I was on the same amount of anti-anxiety medication as my like 200 pound male identifying colleague, um, like twice my size, um, and still had to take things for panic attacks and still had to take things to sleep and then still had to take pain medication. So when I went to work at this global tech company that was toting yoga and mindfulness, I was like, wow, like yoga is really helping my body especially because I was traveling so much. And then it kind of just started to spiral in that direction of like, wow, that's helping. I'm going to meditate and like, see how that helps. And then I, you know, was in a spasm, body spasm, decided to get a massage. And somehow, you know, I landed at this place where it's like, it was a little bit more for a body scrub and like something called Reiki in it. And I was like, sure. And it was like, (laughs) 
it was listed as a shamantic cleaning, but I saw like massage, essential oils, <laughs> body scrub, Reiki. I was like, I'm just going to pay money for that. And they could see me today. And like, I accidentally saw a shaman. And then after that experience, it was like, I don't know what happened. She was like telling me stuff about my mom, about my dad, about my mom's lineage, my dad's lineage of me and past lives. I remember she told me that I wasn't a warrior. I was a warrior and how I had walked thousands of miles with my feet in, um, through deserts. Um, and she had been spent a lot of time massaging my feet and I was like, well, this is good. But she was like doing like past life work on my feet and talking about how a baby giraffe like pounced in and bit off a, a block that I had in my first chakra. And I was like, what's a chakra? You know, I was like, where was the giraffe? You know, and then she printed out some things for me and told me that she hoped that she never saw me again. That sounds like so confusing, like the most confusing experience. <laughs> I literally was like, I was like, what the fuck just happened? I was like, had this piece of paper of like a giraffe and there was another animal. I remember like trying to read it and I was like, what just happened to me? And I like looked up and I was in my neighborhood, but I felt like it was the first time I was in my neighborhood. It was like the first time I was seeing the streets around me and the blue sky. And I was like, wow. And then I went home and I was just like, okay. And I was reading stuff about a giraffe and it was like half faith. And I was just like, I knew I would never be the same, but I didn't really understand how I was never going to be the same. And I always was like, man, one day I want to be like a growth manager at a tech company. And then I want to be a growth officer after I get my MBA, you know, and fit into this big tech company. And little did I know, and it was like, I want to go get a whole Reiki treatment. And then that shaman, my Reiki practitioner, I went and had a tarot reading for the first time. They all were like, you're a healer. You have healing hands. You're going to be doing this work. And I was just like, honestly, y'all just sit up and then doing whatever you do this all day. Like that doesn't seem... I got bills to pay. I don't know what your situation is. And then I, yeah, I was just having these experiences where I was just like, I don't feel like going out. I'm going to go do breath work. Then breath work was like the first time I did that, I had such a release. And I was like saying these vulnerable things in this room full of people I'd never known before. And I was blown away by that. And I was like, the fuck is happening to me? And then my Reiki practitioner, started doing breath work or she had always done breath work, but I went to one of her first things and then she was having a breath work healer training on my birthday. And I was like, that's a sign. I have to do that. And it was just like, it kept going. And I was like, how cool is it? Like I'm a healer and then I'm going to be a growth strategist. Like I'll help people grow in both in their career or in the innovations that they're doing for their company. And, you know, I had, an incident with a manifestation guru and I wrote an article about it. And with that, like I raised questions around white supremacy and fragility and wellness. And this was just like, I never thought that I was in the work because I always had like one foot in and one foot out. And I posed the question, you know, to a bunch of black and brown women in the space of what they were going to do to, to help solve this problem and it was like crickets. And then people were like, well, what are you going to do about it? You know? And for me, I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, 
I was like, what if I just got people together like I did when I was in DC, you know, and we could talk about this and like intellectualize how we can make change that we need to see. And we know that it happened with enlightenment of people like gathering in Gertrude Stein's apartment in Paris, like top artists, activists, thinkers, lawmakers, and then the enlightenment period happened. I did that in DC, you know, with certain initiatives. And so I was like, I'm going to do that with leaders and influencers in wellness, because how could you not be changed when people come and they speak their truth? And then you think about ideas around it, and you know, you have that power in the room to affect change. It works. And so I decided I was going to start a dinner series and start inviting people. And then people started to say yes, which I was like, okay, <laughs> now it's like going to happen. And the first one we had was so powerful. And then people were like, when's the next one? People were emailing me being like, my friend told me about this dinner. Can I be put on the invite list? And it all started to just like come together. We had one that doubled in size in New York. Then I came out here to LA. And then our last one of the year was like, okay, there's something here. And at the same time, I was going through a lot of harassment and retaliation at my tech company because I was being so vocal about diversity, inclusion, and wellness, and was fighting for it in my company. It put a big target on my back, especially, you know, a company led by racist and misogynistic people. And so I got pushed out of my company, but I decided to walk away on my own terms. And I started my own consulting company. It was a growth strategy for socially innovative and conscious entrepreneurs alongside of that. So I actually left my company so I could focus on these initiatives that I wanted to make happen. And so at the end of the year, I was like, I really think that I need to focus more so on Dive In Well, because I think that we're going to reach a peak where we can't ignore the diversity problem in wellness anymore. Like there's something that's coming that's not whatever's happening is unacceptable at this point. And we need to band together to make change happen in the industry. So we turned Dive In Well, or I turned Dive In Well into its own LLC and I recruited a team. And then we relaunched in Feb and we were going to have even more dinners. We were going to go on a tour and then release our eBooks because every dinner is around a specific topic that we unpack. And then we collect all of our thoughts from our thought leaders and then we also add in a section for reflection for anyone that wants to participate in a more diverse and equitable industry. And then action items for accountability and additional resources, because we always say we are anti-racist advocates, not educators. And we point people in the direction of educators, especially Black femmes that are doing this work. And then that all came crashing down with COVID. Taking a quick pause from today's interview for a message from our Balanced Black Girl podcast partner, Peak and Valley Co. Peak and Valley adaptogen blends have been a huge part of my stress management routine and ability to create calm in my daily life. So love adding the Nourish My Brain blend 
to my morning elixirs, coffee if I'm doing coffee, tea if I'm not, to really help improve focus. And while it's no secret that I love Pecan Valley blends, I talk about it all the time, I get especially excited when I hear that you all love them too. We've had several Balanced Black Girl listeners write to Pecan Valley with glowing reviews that I wanted to share one with you. This review says, I really applaud your research and the fact that this Black Girl-owned product is amazing. I've been making an effort to support more Black-owned businesses this year, so Pecan Valley has my full support. I think it's imperative that we bring more awareness to living holistically and talking openly about stress, anxiety, and depression in the Black community. So these adaptogen blends really help your body better adapt to stress and stressful situations. And I encourage you to check them out. So if you would like to try Peak and Valley adaptogen blends, you can go to balanceblackgirl.com forward slash peak and valley. And you can use the coupon code balanceblackgirl, all one word for $5 off your order. Again, that is balanceblackgirl.com slash peak and valley using the coupon code Balance Black Girl for $5 off your order of stress-fighting adaptogen blends. Let's jump back into the interview. I spent probably a couple of weeks, I think we talked about I was just in mourning, um, and we, what we did see were like white brands, you know, white is heteronormative, skinny, able-bodied, wellnessy brands get online like it was nothing. And then we saw so many folks from marginalized communities struggle. And so through that like grief, we're like, let's at least we have privilege enough of like, we know how to make the tech work, you know, our uh, bread and butter were uh, events. So we can figure out how to run these seamless events for folks where all they have to do is show up and share their gifts. And so we had started our free swim series, just having leaders from diverse backgrounds hold space for anybody that wanted to be led by Black, Indigenous, people of color online. And then we really ramped up the release of our eBooks and then also started a thought leadership series, The Pool. There we go. <laughs> I was like, everything's a water reference. Um, our pool series where we have like uncomfortable for some conversations, mm-hmm. conversations where people are like, I'm glad we're finally talking about it. We talked about diversity and digital wellness. Then we talked about decolonizing digital mental health and wellness. And because of that, when the crisis hit, obviously, we were in black businesses were propelled to the front and people were looking for wellness resources because we saw how shit our healthcare system is for people from marginalized communities, especially Latinx people, especially black people and dive in while, you know, was pushed to the forefront and things kind of just like took off from there. That's where we're at. I mean, well, there's so much that I want to, yeah. like, I was going to say dive in and I'm like, dang it, I need a new word because that feels, no pun intended. <laughs> I don't love saying it, but I find myself saying it. And I'm it like, fits. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's like you were saying, you felt at the end of last year, like something's coming and this work is going to be pushed to the forefront. Yeah. Here we are. Like this, this is that moment. Yeah. It's been like a, I kept feeling this, especially towards the end of last year. And I kept saying like, something's happening. I don't know what it is. Like even at the beginning of the year, I couldn't even set intentions for the year. I was like, what's the point? And I was just like finding so much resistance doing it. And I couldn't even book plane tickets far in advance. So looking back on it, like I was getting so many signs. I thought what was coming was COVID, right? And so when, you know, we were crowdfunding and our crowdfunding campaign was already slow to pick up and then it just completely tanked. You know, we had shifts in our team and I was like, how are we even going to survive? We lost sponsorships, getting the reports out how, you know, small business owners, especially people of color, especially black people, especially black women were getting no support from the government. I knew something was coming. I knew this work was important. And here we are. I was like, I have nothing. I was devastated because I was just like, how could I have been so wrong? How could so many people have been so wrong? How could you be wrong? Right? Yeah. Right. It's like having these spaces for just us. How could we all be wrong? Mm -hmm. I felt that something was COVID. And, you know, with things started with Ahmaud Aubrey's death, I was like, wow, Mm -hmm. we were hella wrong. (laughs) And then, you know, Brianna and then George Floyd. And then when all that happened, I was like, holy shit. Like at first I was like, I can't even believe it took all of that. It could have ended at COVID. Yeah. But we weren't getting it. Right. And the universe is like, oh, okay. Y'all still don't get it. Let me make it abundantly clear what needs to be course corrected. And for me, it was like, wow, the, okay, the moment's here, which is like exciting, right? As a black owned business of like, this is what I've been fighting for, why I felt alone, mm-hmm. why I've slept on people's couches, why I've slept on floors, why I had no money in my bank account all of these things. This is what I've been fighting for. And then it's like, I can't even enjoy that. My friend Constanza Eliana always asked, she's like, when are you going to celebrate that? It's a good question. Literally yesterday, she told me something and I was just like, what does a celebration look like? <laughs> but I, I say that in jest of like, it's important for us to take time yeah. to you know, celebrate our little wins and our big wins, especially when you've been doing this work. And when I talk about this work, I mean wellness for everybody, not wellness that's branded and rooted in you growing your platform or growing your pocketbooks. Those are all like nice to haves. And so, you know, not everyone is out here doing it for a good reason. And so for those of us that are, and we know our truth and we have integrity, it's so important for us to take a second and like feel that duality. Um, It's like, you know, bringing it to the top of our conversation. I just see clearly a yin and yang of like so much pain, but yet there's so much joy that a lot of us are having right now, even just, feeling safe enough to have bonds like this that may have not happened if we weren't thrust into a situation 
like we're in right now, seeing our Black peers rise. Every day I get on the internet and I see someone, some Black excellence, and I'm like, incredible. You know, <laughs> you see people stepping into their truth. Like, I forgot who, who said it today, but it was like, oh, my throat chakra is opening up. Y'all better watch out. <laughs> you know, there's so many people that are like having awakenings and it's so amazing to see. And then, you know, you got to deal with some trifling people too. It's that yin and yang. It comes with both. It comes with both. Mm-hmm. One person I'm obsessed with is Sabine Selassie. She's a meditation teacher and author. And I had a call with her earlier and she was talking about how, you know, there's always pleasure and pain. And we talked about the same principle of like the bigger you are, the bigger your light is, the bigger your shadow is. And it's about checking in and having to live in that like constant state of duality. And for me, my takeaway from that conversation is when your life is just filled with complete pleasure, you probably should take a moment to be like, what am I ignoring? Mm -hmm. You don't have to live in the pain. You can live in the pleasure. It's just about being aware of the pain that you're in instead of trying to stuff it down. Oh, absolutely. And I think when you're not aware of those moments, it's like the pleasure doesn't even feel, it's like not like you don't have something to compare it to, but kind of. It's, it's that contrast of allowing yourself to feel all feelings across the spectrum that if you're ignoring what's really happening and acting like everything is rainbows and butterflies, like those rainbows and butterflies aren't very vibrant. Yeah. People that spiritually bypass used to just trigger me so hard because I'm like, I've never gotten to live in that airy fairy space in life, you know? And then now it's gotten to a point where like, I honestly feel bad for people that can't feel pain or see each other's pain or see someone else's pain. Cause I'm like, that has to be such a wounded place to be in where you can't even look at it. That's definitely a very heightened state of fragility for sure. And I think this time, I mean, a big lesson that I think I've learned and that it feels like a lot of people are learning is that multiple things can be true at once. Yeah. A lot of things can be true all at the same time. (laughs) We're seeing it all. Yes. Because I'm like, you can have a good heart and be a racist. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I can literally want the best for you and for you to heal, right? And at the same time, I don't want you in my life. And I think that you're problematic. Yeah, or people can have had their own personal traumas or instances of hardship, but still be in a very privileged position. Both of those things can exist at the same time. And I think sometimes it can feel easier or safer for people to kind of commit to their victimhood, whatever they've decided that is, and to not see the full picture. Yes. And that's what something I was just like, especially during Pride Month of like all Black Lives Matter, right? For me, like I'm a cisgendered Black woman and I'm like, there is privilege in that. You know, I have yeah. college education, like not going to college wasn't an option in my mind, which is a privilege, right? Um, And so, yes, I am of the oppressed, 
but I have privilege. And so I must leverage my privilege for those who don't that sit at different intersections. Exactly. I can't just be of service to people that look like me. That's not a well-rounded way of serving our community and serving our, you know, the collective. And I think that even as Black people, we need to look at our intersections, look at our privilege and see where we could be leveraging all of those things. 100%. It's so true. It's so true. I don't think, yeah, I mean, and, and that's something that I've definitely just had a lot of my own awakenings around and all of the privilege that I have and the ways that I use that in support of others. And I think when people are faced with that, is something that a lot of folks take as like a personal attack. And it's not a personal attack. It is, it's a fact. It's stating facts. <laughs> it's a, whichever way you want to slice it, it's true. And there are things that lead to privilege. And it's not saying that you're a horrible person or that you haven't, you know, worked or done X, Y, Z, but you're coming from a different perspective. And you have a responsibility to do things with that in support of others. Yeah, it's karma. And I think it's like the reframe of, you know, of these certain topics and conversations need to happen of like people clutch their pearls if you tell them that they're privileged. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, why does it have to be this negative thing? Why can't it be like, thank you for bringing that to my attention? Yeah, yeah. And to even, I mean, to kind of bring it full circle, bring some of that self-awareness we were talking about earlier. Because <laughs> <laughs> understanding your own privileges it does a whole lot for self-awareness. Yeah. Life in a tweet. He who knows everything knows that he knows nothing at all. So you just like use a little bit more like gender neutral language in there. It's just like starting with that you don't know anything. I don't have all the answers. You don't have the answers. And we're just figuring it out day by day by day by day. And we can all be in this together. I think that's what we're, we're moving through right now is learning about the collective we again. But so many people just think that they just know everything. They have it all figured out. And I'm like, that's a wild place to be. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think... The only thing that any of us are truly experts in are our own experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think when folks either try to argue or downplay or belittle what someone else's lived experience is, it's just such a missed opportunity for learning. And like that learning in those moments, I think are what we really need to truly build that community, get stronger, like make that change happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's something also that that Seven A brought up in our conversation is like trying to even understand someone who's non-black experience. And like think about that karma, like what that has to be, like someone's lived experience and in that, like if you're a spiritual person how their past lives, their family lineage has experienced that. It's not like we have to put up with anything because of that. 
or be tolerant of bad behavior, but it's like even understanding that karma is also awakening. It's also very informative. We've all done that, right? You've probably learned about some of your unwell ancestors. Really get to know those unwell ancestors and cut ties with them. Start learning who your well ancestors are and tap into them. Yep. I think it was Sonia Renee Taylor. She posted a video of the TikTok gal that was talking to her parents about. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yes, okay, okay, you better tell your parents. I'm like, the youth. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, stop watching halfway through, even though it was like a 60 second TikTok video. I'm like, okay, we get it. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, Sonia posted that. And in it, you know, she mentioned how white people need to stop talking about us and like blackness, you know, and start focusing on talking about whiteness and like how to heal whiteness, the Mm -hmm. whiteness that tells you that being white is superior, the whiteness that tells you you need to oppress people, the whiteness that tells you that you're in like entitled to everything right now. Like, as you mentioned before, the immediacy of all of it, the whiteness that tells you that you don't have to be mindful about other people's experiences. And for me, I'm like, especially in, you know, as a breathwork facilitator, you know, I'm like, during all of this that happened, we had a breath work and I'm like, you're either the oppressed or the oppressor. You know, you're lame. So like, I want y'all to call in your well ancestors and ask them to heal the parts of you that tell you you need to oppress people or that tell you that you are supposed to be oppressed. Yeah. Start looking at your shit. You can read all the books you want, but like light a candle, sit there, talk to them. Where are the pictures at? Ask them where things went wrong. How can you make it right? Where does it live? Does it live in your hips? Does it live in your lower back? 100% that awareness. I think it can be very easy to run from that and to be afraid of the answers you get in those scenarios, which is why people don't do it. But it's so important. It's so important. And and we look at wellness today of it's become this like, how can we extract that out real quick? How can we do like a quick ayahuasca ceremony so we can like see it and then just like never look at it again? There's so much deep ancestral trauma that I've had to look at, but that has stayed with me. That I'm like constantly like reviewing and looking at and releasing and releasing over the, especially over the past couple of like years. There is no quick fix. It's like a lifelong practice that some of us are in because the pain runs deep. For folks who haven't started doing any of that work yet, how do you recommend they start? That's a good question. Something I wish I would have done at the early stages of this, because I've tried so much, Mm -hmm. is to honestly just sit down and like say like, I call upon my well ancestors and sit down with a journal and a pen and be like, please guide me. What should I be doing so you all may continue to be well so you can be more well? How can I heal my body? How can I help you all heal? And like just journaling for five or 10 minutes and see what comes up. 
and then to actually trust it. Like they may say like, take a dance class. They may say, get your breath work certificate. They may say, go get a deck. You know, they may say, go listen to this podcast. And then someone in the podcast says something and there's an answer. So I wish I would have sat with them sooner and just straight up asked what they wanted from me. And ask them like what I needed, you know, to learn what direction they wanted to get me in. Because there was a lot of information coming in through different things. And I was so afraid to talk to them directly for a really, really long time. And then I would say just like play with it, especially now, like follow Black women that are, they don't necessarily have to be healers, right? Or some people that are spiritually inclined and like DM them, ask them who they work with, go on their website because it's probably listed who they work with, see who they're reposting and then just start working with and following Black women in this space. Maybe like if you can and you have the privilege enough of like setting aside a budget to be like, instead of buying, you know, I'm going to make uh, all of my meals for one week out of the month, which will save me X amount of dollars of buying takeout. And I'm going to spend that extra 40 or 20 to $40 on going to a different spiritually led class every month. Cause that's what I did. I like literally just started being like, I'm going to put money aside to dedicate to this, especially like taking classes. There's so many free accessible online courses right now that you could be taking and just playing around and seeing what resonates with you and seeing what you're like, wow, I really, really, really like loved breath work. Like I want to do that again. And then just continue to show up. And if you can't afford classes, reach out to people and say like, Hey, I'm a really good graphic designer. Can I create, you know, two IG posts for you? Or I'm a really good copy editor. And I could, you know, copy edit one document for you. There's so many ways that you could be working with people and exchanging with folks that goes beyond monetary exchange and to just keep showing up. Like make it a habit to be like, okay, what am I doing this month? I love that. That's such good advice. And that's, that just makes it so accessible in a way that isn't immediately overwhelming. Taking it month by month, practice by practice and just breaking it down that way is so smart. Yes. And it's like, it could also just be like, if breathwork speaks to you, then like, just go ham, learn as much as you can about it. Yep. And then if the medicine runs out for you, move on to the next thing. Yep. It's fine. Exactly. It's like a buffet. I call it a buffet. Take what you need. Yeah. <laughs> you don't got to take the whole thing. It's fine. Nope. Nope. Yeah. So, Miriam, while you are doing all of this as a healer, healing others, building community, doing the hard-ass work of... <laughs> diversifying the wellness space and making it more equitable. How do you also pour into yourself and make sure that you are taken care of? Oh my gosh. One community and having people drag me for filth, you know, my ancestors speaking through my community. Um, it's still something I am working on. And, um, you know, for me, I'm always transparent about that. Like I have nothing figured out. 
And I have to remind myself, especially the deeper that you get into the work, it requires more and more self-care, if we'll call it that. For me, learning how to just rest and say no to things and have boundaries, like boundaries is like my ultimate self-care that I've been working on of being like, I don't have to immediately text someone back. I don't have to immediately email someone back. It's fine. Like I'm trying to deprogram that like capitalistic, you have to be working every single day. One of my traditions that I do every week is I go to the farmer's market in my neighborhood. I walk there, I get my produce for the week and I always get myself two bunches of flowers and I have one on my coffee table slash altar, one in my kitchen space and I have flowers in my bathroom. I like coordinating them with whatever chakra color I need to work on. So like white in general for just like, I have white and pink flowers right now that's when I'm staring at them. White flowers for my crown chakra and opening up myself there and then pink, which is just like lovely, like grounding yet crown chakra energy. I practice breath work, obviously. Try and do Reiki on myself when I forget. I do practice Vedic meditation, which is meditating with a mantra two times a day. Going to be honest, I haven't done it in a couple of months. It's been really hard to meditate with everything that's been going on. And to also just like release that shoulda, coulda, woulda. Mm-hmm. so amazing and to just let my body do whatever it needs to do day by day minute by minute I, mean, I was on a call the other day it was like a professional call and I just like laid down on my couch and I was like I my body hurts so I'm just gonna lay down and I'm like yeah that's it listening to my body I'm trying to become better at it and I also just like love like essential oils and aromatherapy and I have like crystals everywhere and trying to think in cooking. Yeah. Oh, all of those things are so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Beautiful practices all the way around and so needed. And, you know, I also like that there are some things where you're like, I do this, haven't done it lately. Here's what I'm doing instead. It's like, again, it's kind of like taking what you need when it's the time and always knowing that you can go back to something when there's a better time for it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like letting go of this like perfectionism. Someone said to me recently, me resting or me taking space to think or slow down is actually allowing spirit to run through me. Mm. And if I'm allowing spirit to run through me by taking a dance break in the middle of the day, like, yes, I think it was yesterday. I just like stopped what I was doing. And I was like, I'm just going to dance around. And I was just like sweating because it's so hot here in LA. And I was just like dancing. And then I was just like, oh, that felt like a purge, like out of my body. And then I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Back to it. (laughs) And like, I didn't have to like sit down, right? Pull out a journal, burn a bunch of incense and candles to have that be a very spiritual moment. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like spiritual moments are what you make them. They can be so many different things. Mm -hmm. So good. So Miriam, what does being a balanced black girl mean to you? Ooh, 
I don't know why I just like, you know, I've listened, but I just wasn't ready. Um, <laughs> um, honestly, I think being a balanced black girl means doing whatever the fuck you want to do. And I say that as like living your truth, doing things that feel good to you, respecting your needs and your desires. And I think that it's like this extreme thing when a balanced black woman is told like she can have, do or say whatever she wants in this world because we're so accustomed to being told what that looks like. Not anymore. Love that. Yeah. Oh, so good. Oh, I have chills. I love that so much. (laughs) So Miriam, where can our people find you? How can they support Dive In Well? How can we support your work? Yeah. So um, at Miriam Majai on Instagram and at Dive In Well, both very literal. One, support me by supporting yourself and like dedicating healing and making healing a lifestyle and through like my work as a healer, I offer breathwork workshops. I'll be releasing a breathwork membership where you have two opportunities to partake in a breathwork ceremony a month at such a low affordable price. So I think having a steady breathwork practice can change your life. It has for me. And I want to be able to offer that to people as I step away from doing one-on-one work. I will have some one-on-one availability, but it's just limited in so far as like I'm only one person. And with Dive In Well, we have so, so many resources. Come to our workshops that are led by our amazing, diverse leaders in the space. We have everything coming up from movement, Pilates, to kitchen magic, um, to artistic expression and meditation and breath work. And then we also have our talks where we're actually working on one around call out culture. Yeah. And then also what would mean so much is supporting the people that are in our community that we're either sharing on our stories about highlighting in our feed that we follow supporting their work is so important above anything else. Mm, Yeah, I love that. All of those things. We will have all of that information surrounding where to find and follow you, where to find and follow Dive In Well and the offerings in the show notes to make it super easy for folks if they aren't already following along. But I love that you said to support the community as well, because that's what it's all about. That's why we create these communities. Exactly. It's not about me. Yep. I do it for my people. Exactly. Miriam, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You're a true angel. I'm very grateful for you. And I just appreciate you being you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Balanced Black Girl Podcast. I hope this conversation helped inspire you on your own personal self-care and well-being journey. To continue the conversation, make sure you check out our website at balanceblackgirl.com where you can find show notes and more information about each of our episodes. And you can stay in touch with us at Balance Black Girl Podcast on Instagram, at Balance Black Girl on Facebook. And if you haven't done so already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps the show. Thanks again for tuning in and keep taking care. <laughs>